Today on the Courier Daily. This is still a novelty for, for companies. You know, people are still having fun having chats on their whatever their video chat system is. People are still kind of enjoying the fact that their boss has been turned into a potato on Zoom, which I thought was great. But we are so far from people going, this is the normal way of working. You know, we are still very much in crisis mode. I do not think this is going to upturn normal working styles. I do think it's going to be, it's going to lead to the biggest rise in the use of software for business ever in one go. And a bit later on, we caught up with Anton Soulier, who is the founder of Taster, which is a French-based ghost kitchen, which also has spaces in London and Madrid. And he said initially demand completely bombed. But he says the past few days, demand in France, at least, has been picking up. He said something quite interesting. He was like, there are only so many times you can cook your own carbonara before you, before you want to turn to something else. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 3rd of April, and this is the brand new Delhi podcast from Courier. I'll be catching up with business owners all over the world every day to hear how they're adapting, pivoting, and surviving. And we'll be doing the same thing in our new Courier Weekly email newsletter as well. So make sure you subscribe at couriermedia.co slash sign up. Right, so first up today, we're turning to Albert Aziz Klausan, co-founder of Underpinned, which is a career platform for freelancers. And um, Albert, it's obviously a fraught time to be a small business owner, but it's also a fraught time to be a freelancer. So I'm wondering if you have any real insight into tangible things freelancers can do right now to set themselves up for the future or just any silver linings at all in, in the freelance economy. So I think like the first thing to say is we're about to see, I think, I think a lot of people agree with me, the largest move to remote working and freelance working ever. You know, one of the biggest issues that people face with the rise of freelancing is company culture around using the right software, around actually being able to engage with people. So you're about to see you know, every single company in the world, their software is being tested. Do you have the right software to communicate electronically? That's like step one for a freelancer in the door. You have a whole load of companies who've never even been able to communicate with you before because they didn't have the system set up, who now have the system set up. Your like potential client pool could have expanded like tenfold. You know, start finding out who those people are and targeting them. If there were ever an opportunity to go, what is my problem solution and how can I get it to people? Like now is the time. I've seen like even location-based freelancers, people like hairdressers, as stylists coming up with really clever voucher systems to say, you know, you can buy a voucher off me now that's at a discount of rate that I'll be able to do the service when I'm back. People doing, you know, moving their skills to the web. Can you teach it online? Can you do some sort of service online? I think the cleverest things I've seen are usually the way in which people have started to package their services. And this kind of works across the board like illustrator, developer, photographer, graphic designers, copywriter, all of these people, journalists, who instead of going like, this is what I do, have gone, okay, I have this really specific service. So copywriter, I can write really good marketing emails and I've gotten quite good with the language around COVID-19 and how we can talk about it in a positive way. For $150, $200, £100, whatever it is, whatever currency you're doing it is, here's my proposition. Send that to 100 companies who are currently freaking out about how they're communicating. So it's like actual daily pivoting to a adapt to the new circumstances. Yeah, and I think you know some some of it will be pivoting, some of it will be changing your services and making them more relevant or ch- or like thinking about them. A lot of it will just be refining your services. So I think like now is a really good opportunity. You know, a lot of the times I'm talking to freelancers in the last few days, I've been saying things like, you know, have you ever taken a, like a full day to look at your bottom line? Like what are your costs? How are you presenting your work? You know, what is your business? What is your problem solution? How are you presenting yourself? I think this is a unique opportunity, unfortunately a little bit forced, but a unique opportunity 
opportunity to go, okay, I really need to look at my bottom line. This is how much I spend on my daily life. Okay, so I need to put those right there. Okay, this is how much I spend on marketing myself. This is my proposition. How can I refine it a bit? How can I make it more relevant to what we're doing? And actually, like, these are all exercises that are positive to do at any point in the year. We caught up with Elizabeth Haig, the um, the chef and restaurateur on Monday, and she was saying, you know, what she found really useful was doing a SWOT analysis to find out what are her strengths and what her opportunities were, but also that her one piece of advice for other people in her position is that like look at your P&L and your cash flow because that's really what it's all about and like the real fundamentals everything else is just window dressing but the real fundamentals it's nothing like a crisis to like expose you to show the bones of the business yeah I mean the, the magic is in the numbers I think like this is something that a lot of startups are feeling as well this idea of like up until now I've been kind of maybe not quite as refined about my cash as I could have been okay, I have a reason to be like, I need to be looking at 12 months. I need to stop looking at the next three months. I need to be going like, how can I get to the place that I want to be in 12 months time successfully? Okay, I need to earn X amount. I need to spend Y amount. How am I breaking that up over the course of the next 12 months? There's a huge opportunity to like use this to really focus the mind. There's nothing like a crisis to focus yourself. I mean, I know you you have a platform all about freelancing, but do you think now might be the time for people to not be a freelancer and to get a job at a giant stable company? I mean, I'm predicting your answer is going to be no, but. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is I think that there's, there was, a, there was a stat that just came out that it was like all 80% of work in the next 10 years is going to start coming from networks. And I think that the idea of having a stable job or creating a kind of stable income is something we associate with the idea of a full-time job because it seems very stable. But I mean, like if anything has been shown right now is that a lot of those people have just lost their jobs. Totally. I mean, some of the biggest companies in the world are freezing their hiring or laying off large amounts of people. Yeah. I'm not saying that large companies are stable by default by any means. I think that there is something to be said for looking for stability. And I don't think you should force yourself into any, like, I think it's quite easy to define yourself by what you're currently doing. Like I'm a freelancer. I want to be a freelancer. I'm not going to turn down that opportunity right now i think like you know ultimately if you can create stability and security that is nothing but a positive thing and i I don't think that should push you in any one direction i think going for if you can find a stable job that makes you feel comfortable while you look at what you're doing on the side while you look at your freelance career like i don't think that's a bad thing i'm not i don't think i'd ever recommend somebody were to go freelancing as a general rule and the same way i don't think i'd ever recommend someone to go to a full-time job i think that yeah if, if you're getting offered stability and security i think you should be taking that you know a bird in the hand kind of thing I think there's also a huge amount of opportunity for diversification within freelancing, for rise in remote working. I also think we're going to start to genuinely see a line blurred between the two. Like this is such a huge level of remote working that I think people who were traditionally very linear in-office desktop workers are suddenly working remotely with laptops and realizing that they are as if not more efficient. A lot of trend forecasts are saying, you know, this is the time when the world, including yourself, goes remote for the for the long term. Do you think, though, that's true? Or do you think, you know, six months from now, everything's going to be back to normal? We're going to be commuting miserably on the overground and going to our jobs <laughs> sitting next to people? I would be lying if I said this was going to be a revolution that's going to turn everybody remote. I think that Also, we're in like week two. I mean, we're in week three because we decided to do an extra week, but this is still a novelty for for companies. You know, people are still having fun having chats on their whatever their video chat system is. People are still kind of enjoying the fact that their boss has been turned into a potato on Zoom, which I thought was great. But 
we are so far from people going, this is the normal way of working. You know, we are still very much in crisis mode. I do not think this is going to upturn normal working styles. I do think it's going to be, it's going to lead to the biggest rise in the use of software for business ever in one go. I think like a really good example is like that there's loads of like team-based software systems that most companies will have as default and most in-house companies just won't have used it very much. By in-house, I mean like, you know, with in-house teams. Uh, won't have used them very much and suddenly they're using the video chat they're using the project management tools they're using all these tools they had and never really used so i think there will be a increase like there, without doubt like there already has been an increase in the amount these tools are used and i don't think that's going to go completely back but to say like everyone's going to go remote i think is, is probably a little bit absurd what other opportunities do you spot in the freelance sector at the moment yeah, so I think that, like, if I'm completely honest, like, I don't think in the next six months it'll be easy to say anyone's going to benefit. There might be a few people that, that are able to adapt and change and find their new kind of passion or their new their new path. I think more long term, I think the biggest thing that I said is there's a push factor and there's a pull factor. On the push side, you've got the opportunity and perhaps the forced opportunity to start looking at freelancing as an option, which I think is going to lead to a massive amount of entrepreneurialism, a massive amount of creativity. I think the fact that we've learned to, or we've seen that the lack of kind of identification and demarcation within the self-employed economy is causing real problems in offering support, we're suddenly going to start looking at entrepreneurs and freelancers and gig workers and contractors in slightly more defined ways as we start to understand them more, which is going to make it more of an option for people, which is going to lead people to do more things and i think that that kind of narrative of being freelancer to entrepreneur to startup to business owner is something that's existed for a really long time and i think i think we're going to see that rise a lot during this i think on the company side we're going to see a big pull factor for freelancers as i said we're going to see a lot more companies have the facilities the software capabilities and the understanding to deal with people either remotely or freelancers in-house i think like you know i still believe freelancing done you know when you sit in the room with people is a very positive thing i think we're going to see the capabilities of having those conversations and negotiating how you start projects like that rise a lot i think you know if you look at specific industries there's, there's going to be lots of different nuances to it and like within software as i said i think there's going to be a massive rise in the importance of software and the understanding of like good user experience when you're dealing with things i think some of the big tech companies are going to get a big shocks when they suddenly get a lot of data saying people do not like how this works or people really like how this works you never expected it because not many people were using it but yeah I, th- I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for freelancers in the kind of post six month period right now i think it's a lot about looking at how you and your business can work and how you kind of nail that down and how about underpinned as, as a company? I mean, you guys completed a, a fundraise right before the proverbial shit hit the fan. And <laughs> how did that go? Wait, wait, to clarify, we had nearly completed a fundraise when the proverbial shit hit the fan. First week, we hit 92% and things were still happening in Asia and people weren't talking very much in Europe. And then things really hit week two, week three. I think the Dow was down 20% at the end of our second week of crowdfunding. Not a good time to be asking people to give you their their cash. That was really tough. I think that investment is going to be, as it is in any sort of economic uncertainty, it's going to be really tough for the next six months. We struggled. We definitely didn't get as much money as we thought we were going to do. We were successful largely because we we are a software provider we're providing a software that helps people who are freelancers remote remote workers with productivity with how they communicate their portfolios and proposals and their invoicing and contracts effectively allowing you to do things simply in a remote way which obviously is a very you know positive thing right now also i think you know a huge kind of push of particularly from the individual side at the moment of freelancers going, we want to we want to jump on board this because we, if there's ever a kick up the arse to get going and get productive, this is it. And so people look to software to help them. But putting that aside, 
it was tough. And I think it's going to be really tough for, for people to raise money. That doesn't mean there aren't people with the capital to be doing it. VCs are still operating. They're actually are now going to be available loads of loans, which are backed by the government. Like if you're a small business and you're looking to grow and you're looking for opportunities and you have been affected, there are some actual opportunities to get relatively cheap loans right now to grow. And I think like historically, look at 2008, look at various other times where there's been economic uncertainty or crisis. You the, the companies that spend on marketing, the companies that find their niche and really push it during these times tend to be massive after. And like, there'll be a huge opportunity in in the kind of post once we once we start to settle down and once the economy starts to relax. So I think if you're raising right now, you know, it's going to be really tough, especially from individuals who are just going, I'm closing my checkbook. But there are also, again, a huge amount of opportunities. And same for freelancers. Like it's mean, meant that we have gone, okay, let's really look at our bottom line because if we hit a bump in the road and we need to raise again in six months, people might not be as willing to give cash as they have been previously. So how can we like make sure we're building that security? And again, as a, as a business, as a freelancer, that's, that's a positive thing to be doing. Cheers, Albert. Albert Aziz Klauson from Underpinned. And you can check out his extremely useful service at underpinned.co. So many of you are probably subscribers to our weekly email newsletter, Courier Weekly, which hits inboxes every Friday morning at 7 a.m. London time. Well, on the line now for a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at today's edition that just got sent out are the people who put it together. Courier editors John Sonier and Duncan Griffiths, welcome to the Courier Daily, gentlemen. Yes, it's good to be here, Danny. Yeah, about time, Danny. Duncan, I know you've been wanting to come on for a while. I mean, I just want to hear the sound of my own voice, to be honest. So uh, it's a bonus that we're talking about something useful. <laughs> right. So, John, today you edited our uh, deep dive into the food delivery industry. So many restaurants have pivoted to delivery only out of necessity. That story has been told. We've told it a bit different because actually it's probably not the most sustainable thing for the long term, right? Delivery is something we've covered a few times in Korea, but it's taken on particular relevance in the past couple of weeks. Initially, there was a feel-good factor about it. Any restaurant whose physical store had closed down was selling on apps like Deliveroo, Just Eat. Deliveroo itself announced 3,000 new restaurants had joined the platform. Even Michelin-style restaurants were joining the platform as well, um, delivering, you know, beef short rib wellington straight to your door and there was this whole kind of feel good factor that delivery was going to be the savior of the restaurant industry is it i mean it seems like it's actually not that sustainable right because it's not going to make up for the losses of actual paying customers walking into a restaurant right yeah that's right we spoke to a number of food industry experts who in fact told us that demand for food delivery apps is actually plummeting delivery down by as much as two-thirds and actually what we're seeing in the past week, we've spoken to restaurants from Honey & Co, Cricket, Patty & Barn and lots more. And they've actually decided to stop selling on delivery platforms altogether because they fear for the safety of their staff. But all that being said, I mean, there probably are some bright spots, right? Well, we caught up with Anton Soulier, who is the founder of Taster, which is a French-based ghost kitchen, which also has spaces in London and Madrid. And he said initially demand completely bombed. But he says the past few days demand in France at least, has been picking up. He said something quite interesting. He was like, there are only so many times you can cook your own carbonara before you, before you want to turn to something else. So maybe in France it's picking up slightly, but we're certainly not seeing that in the UK or in America. And in the US, I mean, I know you uh, also read that piece that I was talking about the other day on the podcast, the David Chang piece um, about the future of the restaurant industry. I mean, it's pretty dire, right? It's pretty dire, but he gets straight to the issue, which I feel like the UK media has been slightly slow to pick up on. And that's delivery is not going to save a restaurant. What's going to save a restaurant is 
government bailout packages and also seeing help go from the top of the supply chain to restaurants at the bottom. So things like, you know, real estate owners stopping demanding rent. Those kind of initiatives are really going to be what's going to come to the rescue of um, food and drink businesses. And just finally, guys, um, you know, we also were in Australia with Canva, the graphic design platform. They're a unicorn. They're a really big company. Uh, we feature them actually in the latest courier and they're still hiring they're hiring remotely so they're onboarding employees without employees being face-to-face so Duncan what are the what are the four steps they told you about how they're doing that so step one is the starter pack delivery where a month before you're starting you get the kind of the whole kit to your door laptop IT essentials any kind of company swag and a little handwritten note then there's a virtual induction which is like a lot of things at the moment all on Zoom, which can be anything up to 50 different sessions. Then there is the kind of graduation ceremony that they normally have at their offices, but online. That's down to the details of a virtual graduation ceremony background and graduation music playing. And obviously at the end, new employees can throw whatever hat they're wearing as high as they can. And most importantly, ice cream sessions, which is virtual ice cream. And I kind of like to see something similar at Korea happening. Mm, virtual ice cream. Yeah, it could be an idea for our culture secretary. <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? What's virtual ice cream like? I don't understand. So newcomers are paired with three people from different departments they wouldn't normally interact with. And they can either have cups of tea, wine on Friday evenings, or virtual ice cream sessions. My special thanks to Albert Aziz Klausan from Underpinned, and John Sonier and Duncan Griffiths from Courier for today's show. Have a question you want answered, or any tips, stories, or ideas, well, just shoot me an email. I'm at daniel at couriermedia.co. Make sure to also sign up to Courier Weekly for more stories of pivoting and adapting, maybe even growing, and that's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The Courier Daily is back again on Monday. <laughs>